one of the people obviously we think of the most when we think about being friends is the relationship between Jonathan and David, right? Um, their friendship was even celebrated in, like, and established by God as a good friendship, as a uh, celebratory uh, apex of friendship. Because it says when Jonathan met David that he loved him more than his own soul. Right? That was the type of love that Jonathan had for David. And when Jonathan died, David said of Jonathan, oh, your love had been so sweet to me. Like There's a deep, um, just sacrificial love towards one another that comforted each other and supported each other in life. And being a priest really is to tap into that affection towards the Lord. Right? Um, so let's go ahead and go to the first slide here. The first, um, uh, the idea of ministering God, obviously just being a friend to the Lord, specifically honed in to the Lord. The first mention of the idea of friendship with God is James 2.23, where it says about Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Now that's astounding to be called a friend of God, and if you look at Abraham's life, he really was a good friend. Like, he lived in a world where people were burning up their kids to, to bail, um, just darkness so prevalent in the land, and this guy chose to leave his family, leave his wealth, um, and wander. Why wandering? It wasn't just aimless. He was following and searching to be close to the Lord. Um, he was looking for a... We're looking... He was looking for... Um, a city in a, whose builder and maker is God. In essence, he was looking for a city run by God so he could be with God and he could serve in that kingdom and, and minister to God. He was looking for closeness with the Lord and God called him a friend because of that, because he was willing to forsake it all. Um, so really, um, I love what, uh, you know, um, Sean this morning was leading prayer room, and I love that he picked this song. He may not have known that I was going to talk about it, but one of the lyrics goes, um, no reservations, no walls, like no reservations, no walls, just an open door to my, what is it? In my heart to you, right? No reservations, no walls, like that's what friendship is, right? You walk with someone and that person doesn't feel like they have to put a wall up around you. Okay, And that's what we're called to do as priests, to live a life of righteousness, not because God's like, do this, do this, and I want holiness, but actually God wants to lower his walls, right? Not that God guards himself because he's insecure, but he actually has deeper intimate levels with him that he wants to expose it all to us. And he invites us into this priesthood where what the priesthood really is, is we go in, we behold God, we bless him. We see his beauty. Our guards are down. His guards are down. We see his excellencies, and then we step out. <laughs> like That is what, you know, priesthood is. And we always carry God with us, and we call, carry about, you know, um, carry him with us, you know, 24-7. But priesthood is actually intentional lifestyles and times of, it's like date nights, simply only you, consecrated right? That's the difference between priesthood and just normal, you know, carrying on with Jesus in your heart. Um, a priesthood has intentional times of ministering to God, going in and going out, beholding his glory. 
Um, actually, Moses did this. Um, he did this. He was one of the pioneers of that in Israel because it said that in the morning, can you picture this? This is like millions of people, right? Millions of tents. And in the morning, Moses would get up and he would start heading towards the tent and a start a tent of meeting. He would set up a tent outside of the Israel camp. And that was his tent of meeting with God. And in the morning he would get up and it said that all Israel would get up and stand at the door of their tents. Millions, fathers, even their kids and wives, they would watch as Moses walked across right, the camp, going outside, and then they'd see him as, they, as he enters the tent of meeting. And it says that when Moses went in, that a big cloud would come down and hover over that tent to meet him. And all the people would burst out in praise and worship. That was Moses was ministering as a priest. What he was doing is he had set times where he would go. And it wasn't just like, God, give me instructions. Oh, holy out thou God. Out thou, art thou God. He would actually go and it said that he would go and meet God, minister to God and talk to him face to face as one would talk to a friend. Right? Talk to a friend. Like friendships don't go one way. Okay. Um, uh, it goes both ways. So literally, you know, Becca and I are good friends, as most of you guys know. Like when I get home, I'll be like, buddy, you know, <laughs> she'll be like, buddy, how's your day, buddy? Oh, pretty good, buddy. Like, you know, like there's just like this dynamic of like, you know, what's going on in your life? And that was like, Moses went into the tent and God's guard was down and Moses's guard was down so much that they could talk to each other. How are you doing, God? How are you doing? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What's going on in that world? Look, I read that in the news the other day. What do you think about it, God? How, how has it affected you and what's going on in your kingdom? You know, like it is a ministering to the Lord and caring about him, not a one-way relationship. So being a friend of God. Um, and so we all have this invitation to walk like Abraham, to walk like Moses in the priesthood, being a friend of God, that we have this invitation to be what God actually calls watchmen. Watchmen on the walls. Like we actually stand and we watch not just what's going on in the world, but especially we watch what's happening in God's heart. You know? Um, when uh, <laughs> when uh, Becca and I went on a trip um, around the world, I remember once, this was before we were close friends, and we went on this like trip around the world uh, to do like missions at the end. And my mom told me, Priscilla, don't lose Becca. <laughs> Stick with her. Like, don't lose her, okay? Stick with her. Don't let her go off by herself. Watch her, right? And I like, I, so for some reason that hit me really deep in my heart, even though I didn't have that much affection for her at the time. Like, but sure, like, like throughout the whole thing, like when we traveled in Europe, Israel, China, like I was like, where's Becca? Did I lose her? Like, all right, stick with me. Don't, don't go. Like it was, it was like, uh, it was not, not like a control thing, but like, I wanted to make sure she was okay. You know, like I want to make sure she's okay. And that we don't, part ways and I lose her in like the Middle East, you know, like something like that, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and like, we're actually called like be watchmen. Don't let him go. 
Follow him wherever he goes. Watch him. How is he doing? How is his heart? Like, not that God needs us to be like, you know, to survive, but there's an invitation of closeness to walk with God that is called the priesthood, to be watchmen, to stand with him, right? And don't let him go. Um, and one of the th- ways that, like, you can really tell that that actually matters to somebody when somebody loves them like that is that when they go through suffering, they'll think of your love as comfort, Okay, that's one of the things, like when you go through suffering, automatically as humans, we start to think about, like, especially if it's a prolonged suffering, we automatically think about those who were for us, those who comforted us when we're suffering, right? Um, like, it's it's well-known fact, like, for example, uh, you know, in war, like, there's countless stories in war of men like being somewhere in Africa or Europe and mothers on the other side of the world. And when they're suffering, even especially close to death, who do they think of? Their mothers. They cry for their mothers. What can their mothers do? Nothing. But it's the fact that our human nature, when we're suffering, especially unto death, we think of the people who comforted us. We cling to the memories of them and we yearn for them. Right? Um, Like, Go on to the next, next slide. Um, because they were such a comfort to us in life, we think about them when we suffer. Um, you know, even like I said, war testimonies, or so when suffering, especially unto death, we automatically think of those who comfort us most in life. Um, war testimonies, I remember when my dad was in the ICU, like we tried, like <laughs> Joseph decided to put pictures all over the wall of his room of every good memory we had of our family, right? Like in hopes that maybe if he opened his eyes a little bit, he would see it and remember it. Um, But it was really funny because I see nurses were like, this is the most like extravagant layout of pictures we've ever seen in our life. Like it was decorated so well, like the, it was like all over the walls, like, you know, and Joseph put his uh, uh, med school diploma (laughs) or something like that. You had passed some certain tests, right? Some, some medical tests that you were supposed to renew your thing. So he put it up there. Um, I won teacher of the year award. So I put it up there and everything that would comfort. And we made sure like every time that the the room was uh, allowed visitors, that every single one of us took a rotation, right? To be there. Like, so that just in case he, he could hear us, he would have comfort, right? So like when we are in suffering or when we are especially close to death, we, we, we need or we want or we, we automatically, our mind goes to those who comforted us. And I say that because actually Jesus did the same. Jesus did the same thing. That the love of his friends mattered to him. And it mattered to him. And it was evident in the way that when he suffered the cross, he actually thought of some of his friends. Okay? Um, so he remembered their love for him. Now, um, it's, it's true that he was abandoned by all his friends. The scriptures actually says that you've removed lovers and friends far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. Psalm 88, 18 says that. So at that moment, his friends, uh, most of them were gone. But God actually, Jesus on the cross, actually remembers like some of their devotion to him in their life, you know, on the cross. And so <clears throat> I wanted to look at some of that. Go on to the next slide. Jesus' thoughts as he suffered the cross. Greater love has no, no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
the fact that Jesus felt great love from those who laid down their life for him. Like even on the cross, like he laid down his life for us, but there were men and women who walked in the past that actually laid down their life for him, that he thought of them and was comforted by their love even on the cross. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's go to the first one. David. And David's life, we know him, the man, man after God's own heart. He was about that one thing, to be before the Lord in his holy place. David, when he was going through a hard time and suffering, David expresses his heart and remembers God. When he was being pushed by Absalom out of the kingdom, the lowest part of his life, David remembers God. It actually says in Psalm 62 or 63, when he wrote this Psalm, when he was being chased out by Absalom, he said, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I looked upon you in the sanctuary. Like David said, I looked upon you in the sanctuary while he's being chased out by Absalom. He said, I behold your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So David is praying this prayer, singing this psalm in the midst of his suffering. And then Jesus likewise remembers the times that David spoke to him in his suffering. And during his own suffering, he quotes David three times. He quotes his friend, his good friend, who he remembers the times where his friend went through suffering. He remembers and he quotes him. He says in Psalm 22, Jesus actually quoted, and I think that actually Jesus didn't have time to quote the whole thing. I think he couldn't breathe for the most part. But what little breath he had, Jesus actually quotes his good friend David. And he says, Oh God, my God, Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? And yet, if Jesus had continued on with that, it's amazing because he would have said, Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. You know? And uh, so, yeah. The similar, a mutual friendship of quoting and being and thinking about one another in the midst of their sufferings. That's what friends do. Next slide. Jesus' thoughts as he suffered on the cross. All throughout John's life, he leaned on Jesus' chest right? And he's called the beloved of of Jesus. And Jesus, when he's on the cross and suffering, he actually leans on John. He leans on John. He says, John, take care of my mother. He depends on him. John leaning on Jesus all his life. Jesus leaning on John to take care of his mother. Like what? I was thinking about this the other day. Like, man, it is an honor to be entrusted with the family of Jesus. Like, he doesn't entrust his family to anyone but his friends. Yeah. Go to the next one. A friend of Jesus, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was accused, if you remember, like they picked up stones to stone her um, when she was in sin. And Jesus stood by her, defended her, And one by one, the accusers left, and only he remained, and he stuck by her. Mary Magdalene was one of the only people who stuck by Jesus during his suffering. Like, she was there from beginning to end. 
And even after the end, when he was in the grave, it was Mary Magdalene who went to go anoint Jesus' body. She was so glued. She wanted a sick. Like, it, it, it's so amazing to me because in, um, in Hebrews 13.5, Jesus says, like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I feel like that was Mary's same cry to Jesus. Like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Like, even if you go through the cross, even you're dead already, you're in the grave. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I'm going to go and I'm going to anoint your body with oil. Like, I will not leave you nor forsake you because she's loving in the same way that Jesus loved her. They were friends. Next one. The very famous Mary of Bethany. She associated her devotion and appreciation of Jesus with assent. She did. She associated her devotion and appreciation for Jesus with a scent of oil, a pint of oil, expensive, a year's worth. She poured it out. She didn't just pour it out, be like, here you go, see you later. She took her hair and she, in the same way that she was always sitting in front of Jesus' feet, she was always at Jesus' feet. And once again, she got on Jesus' feet and she tethered her devotion with a scent with her hair and washed it. And literally Jesus, like historians say, could smell that scent all the way to the cross. Like it actually says that when, um, like some scholars say that when he was whipped and his flesh was being torn from his body, that the fragrance of her scent would have been even more heightened. Like when it was, because the, the, the oils would have sunk in. And so ripping off his skin, like they would have actually, he would have smelled it. Right? He thought of her. He was thinking of her. Right? The act of devotion. Like when we suffer, we think of our friends. We think of those who loved us in the same way. Like our love and our devotion to Jesus matters to him. It matters to him that he thinks about it. And I would even argue today, like, not that Jesus is in a depressed state or anxious state, but I would argue that Jesus still suffers today. Like, he suffers the reproach of man. He suffers nations raging and people plotting in vain. He suffers the prodigal. He suffers, like today, you know? And, and because of his great love, he suffers. And we have the opportunity to be priests. We have opportunities to be friends. That even today, as he suffers these things, we have the opportunity to sit before him and minister to him. Next slide. We have the opportunity to do as David did, and he thought towards God, and John cared for God and his family, and Mary stood with him, even in midst of accusation, and Mary of Bethany listened to him and appreciated him with extravagant offering. Like, we have the ability to do all that to Jesus today. But do we do this mostly for God? And the challenge, even for my own heart, is do I do this mostly for God or do I think and care for and stand with and listen and appreciate mostly worldly things? Do I know more or do I quote more? And when I'm suffering, do I think automatically of scripture verses or do I, like, you know, do I think of like quotes and songs from the world? Do I, do I care for? And when I'm, I'm tired, do I go to things of the world to kind of sit and abide with or do I actually go to his feet? Right? It says in scripture, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world 
makes himself an enemy of God. God, like, God give us grace to, to be a friend, to really like, not just um, do it out of deed, but like that there would be a heart of devotion, like John, like Mary, like David. Go to the next part. It says of Mary that Mary chose the better part. We must choose. I love what Mike Pickle says about it. The Mary chose the better part, and so you have to choose. Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can tell you to do it. Uh, you have to choose actively to be a friend. And you, you have to choose it when it costs something or when it doesn't cost anything at all. You have to choose it in hard days when your schedule's busy. Or you choose it when life is easy and high. But ultimately, Mary chose the better part, and we have to choose. The invitation is a choice. It says, what's spectacular even is that God chose us first. Before we choose him, God actually chose us. He doesn't ask us to do something and choose him when he hasn't chosen us. John 15, 16 says, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but even when you didn't, I chose you. Yeah, we choose him because he first chose us actively. Go to the next one. And so when we talk about priesthood, I want us to think of priesthood as just ministering to God, as just being friends. And the promise is that God is restoring the priesthood. Like in the latter days, God will restore the priesthood. And it actually just means really that Jesus will actually have true friends. Like he will have true friends. Amos 9.11 says, after this, I will turn and I will rebuild the fallen tent of David. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. That is all the Gentiles who have desired my name. Like Jesus' first order of business when he rode his donkey into Jerusalem was to clear out the temple and reestablish friendship. Like actual reestablished people coming and being able to minister as a priesthood before him. That was his first order of business. And when he comes back again, that's going to be his first order of business. What do you do when, you know, a president comes into power or a king comes into power? You watch what's most important to him by what he's going to do first. And Jesus is going to reestablish the priesthood, reestablish day and night worship and prayer. Why? Because his greatest desire, and we know this, we've seen it a hundred times in John 17. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he talk, he's talking to his father, and he's like, this is going to be hard. He didn't say that, but <laughs> he knows it's going to be super hard. And this last prayer, his last words to his father are, God, I will do this, but my desire, my great desire is that they would be with me where I am. Why? To behold my glory. And that's what the priesthood is, to go in. I'm your friend. Behold the glory. You're beautiful. You're magnificent. I praise you. Wow, you're amazing. What's going on, God? Let me be your friend. That is the priesthood. And God, and Jesus actually says before he goes to his cross, um, that that's how he wants to be loved. Okay. Um, last slide. The house of God restored. Um, 2 Chronicles 
29, 35, it talks about the story of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was one of the few priests or few kings who actually restored the temple. And it says of him, besides the great number of burnt offerings, there is the fat of the peace offering. There were the drink offerings to the burnt offerings. Thus, the service of the house of God was restored. Like, what does it look like if the house of God is restored? Does it look like everyone comes here for sermons? Does it look like if the house of God is restored that everyone starts to have a great evangelical tool? Or when everyone, is it when we have 10,000 people in this room? Or what, <laughs> that would suck. But if we, <laughs> if we have, like what is, what does it look like in God's eyes if that something is restored? Offerings, offerings, offerings. Becca preached on it last week. Not just sin and guilt offering, that was paid by Jesus, but there was thanksgiving offerings, there were fellowship offerings, burnt offerings. When God's house is restored, you'll walk in and all you'll see is offerings, offerings, offerings. You'll see other things, but that will be the central thing. And I submit to you that most of the time when you walk into our places of worship, quote unquote worship, you see no offerings. I would submit to you that the altar of the church has gone cold. But God is going to restore the worship and the prayer and the fragrances with the heart of David, with the heart of Mary, with the heart of John, the leaning and the standing with and the praising. He will have not just one man, Moses, who walks across the city to go into his tent of meeting, he will, he will see a remnant of people driving across the city to go and be and minister to the Lord. Yes, carrying the presence of God with them everywhere, but consecrated priesthood times of offering corporately to the Lord. He will have friends. He will have friends again. The last part of Revelation reveals what restoration of the earth looks like. It says in Revelation 22.3, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship. That's how Revelation ends. That's what restoration looks like. And his servants worshipped. It's like happily ever after. <laughs> Amen, right? Like that is God's happily ever after. And then they worshipped. Yeah. So we're going to go into a time of prayer. An invitation to be friends. Amen. Thanks, Priscilla.